Hi, I'm Jana Panaritis, and you're listening to the AgeWise Podcast, where we give you strategies for aging well and wisely. And how do you do that when on top of scrambling to keep up with the demands of your own life, you're also caring for someone else in your life? Well, we're here to help. Each week, we hear from people just like you who share caregiving stories from the field, how you cope, what you've learned, and how care has changed your life. We also hear from professionals in the field of aging and people using media to address major health issues and challenge widespread assumptions about what it means to get older. So stick around for some straight talk on aging in all its unpredictable glory. Lindsay Juris Rosner says that when she looks at her life, the most important job she's held is the one she's been doing since she was a kid. That's because when she was just nine years old, Lindsay's mother was diagnosed with a chronic condition and she became her mother's caregiver. More than 25 years of caregiving later, Lindsay decided to use her BA in economics from Columbia and her MBA from Harvard to create the kind of service she wished she'd had to help her own family. That company is called Wealthy, that's W-E-L-L-T-H-Y, and it's designed to, quote, take some of the complexity out of healthcare. Lindsay Juris Rosner joins us today from New York City, and I'm so happy to have you on the show. Welcome to the AgeWise Podcast, Lindsay. Thank you. I read that you were in fourth grade when your mom was diagnosed uh, with MS. Can you tell us how you found out and your reaction? Oh, sure. And I remember it so well, my goodness. Um, My mom sat me down and I was, yeah, I must have been in fourth grade. I was nine years old and she had just received a diagnosis. And I remember prior to that, she, you know, started to kind of walk with a little bit of a limp and struggle to kind of walk around the neighborhood like she used to. And so I remember thinking that she, there was something going on. But she sat me down and got very serious and got tears in her eyes. And I said something back to her like, well, are are you and Bruce, my stepdad, getting a divorce? Oh. And she said, and she, I just assumed that it was, you mm-hmm. know, something. The divorce conversation, else, right? yeah. Right, the divorce <laughs> conversation. And, um, and she said, no, I got a diagnosis. And I don't remember the rest, but she, I'm sure, tried her very best to explain her MS diagnosis to a nine-year-old. And um, I remember n- not understanding or knowing what it meant or what, what that would look like. And what ended up happening for my mom over the years was just a reduced level of mobility. So, you know, pretty soon after her diagnosis, she started walking with a cane and then um, needing a little bit more support with sort of a um, a mobile walker type thing and then um, and then using a wheelchair and kind of a motorized scooter. So, yeah, that was my, those were my earliest memories. Mm-hmm. Did you talk about it with your classmates? No, I really never did. And in fact, I was quite embarrassed. I hate to say it, but I remember my mom walking into, I was really into ballet and she would walk into my dance studio and, you know, wanting to be a good mom. She, was, she is an incredible mom. And so she would come and watch the end of class and, sort of cheer me on from the doorway. And I remember feeling a little embarrassed that she was walking with a cane because, you know, she was different. And for a kid, you know, your parents are already so embarrassing. So (laughs) having anything that's, you know, at all dissimilar from other parents is just that much more embarrassing. And so I remember feeling a little embarrassed by her walking with a cane. Mm -hmm. So I read that your peers knew that your mom was sick, but they didn't know the extent to which you were caring for her. You know, my role in caring for her was not 
really caring for her as a as a child. You know, when I was in grade school, it was more so helping out around the house mm-hmm. and helping mm-hmm. with dinner prep and fetching things, that sort of thing. It wasn't really until college or really post-college in my 20s when I was really playing a much bigger role in her day-to-day uh, care. And yes, in those in those years, I really didn't tell many people. I felt, um, you know, I didn't know how to talk about it, and it was sad and hard for me, and I didn't bring it up. That must have been really hard on you, a lot of pressure. It was more so lonely, and I think uh-huh. the, the thing that strikes me and in building the business wealthy, we've seen this, you know, it's fascinating to me because there are actually so many people going through it, like you, like you um, and me. There are so many people working in this sort of caregiver capacity, and yet we do so siloed and mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and without much support, and mm-hmm. really with no infrastructure. So, I think the biggest emotion was just loneliness. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Been there. Um, so, you yeah. you alluded earlier to being more uh, hands-on after college. You, uh, as I understand it, you moved back to D.C. after college. You lived at home for four years. Uh, what was your life like then? Tell us about your work life and your sort of typical day. Yeah, so it was those couple of years were my most kind of hands-on time of my life when I was really involved in the day-to-day and the physical part of taking care of my mom. And, you know, I would help her get up in the morning and get ready and dressed and help with breakfast and and physically lifting her and and I I remember feeling both kind of happy that I could help her but also fearful that I might drop her or hurt her and not really knowing what I was doing you know um and for those years I mean I I especially think about this we start you know with our company we've started working with employers as customers of ours and I say to employers that I think that those years for me, were hard on my career growth because mm-hmm. I would help mom in the morning, go into the office, come home during lunch, help her get lunch ready, go back into the office, and then come home in the evenings to help her at home. And and it was draining and emotionally exhausting. And I and I was sort of I was a little checked out during the day in the office and that I wasn't fully present and really kind of my full productive self in the in the office. And I do feel like it probably impacted my performance in my job and how other people perceive me. And I'm sure that's the case for a lot of caregivers, you know, who are kind of balancing both a career and caregiving. Mm-hmm. Did anyone at your work know that you were providing that level of care for your mom? I don't know. And I don't recall kind of how much I uh-huh. told people. I, I wouldn't tell people that much. I would say, you know, my mom's actually sick and I have to attend a doctor's appointment with her. So I would say sort of if I were to miss work for kind of an appointment, you know, I would share that. And I was very upfront about those moments. But I don't think people really appreciated, you know, the people knew I lived at home and with my family and they knew that she was sick. But yeah, I didn't didn't share for years with friends or colleagues really until starting the business wealthy. I didn't share publicly, you know, how much I was really doing in those in those years. But still, you know, continue to over future years, I mean, even when I moved away from home, you know, at the slightest sign of my mom being sick or going into hospital, I would be on the first flight home and by her side. And that was hard on job and career and personal life and all that stuff, too. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not sure people really knew the extent of it. I didn't necessarily feel comfortable talking about it or probably admitting it all to myself, you know? Yeah. One of the things that I read that you wrote was that your relationship with your mom shifted, but you weren't aware 
you weren't aware that it was no longer the quote normal mother daughter dynamic. You weren't mother and daughter anymore. And that really resonated with me because when I was living with my mom, I was so invested in her care. You know, I, I really was not her daughter anymore. I felt like at times a butler, um, <laughs> you know, a concierge, right. you know, all of those things. And that really resonated. I think it's really hard for non caregivers to appreciate that. Who else in your family was helping out? Yeah, I mean, we're really fortunate. My sisters, I have two older sisters, and they're quite involved, and my stepdad's involved. And so we do have a lot of family members who get involved in mom's care. But I think, you know, it does shift the relationship dynamic for all the, you know, for everybody, right? So, you know, when you're in kind of caretaker mode, and we all get to this point in life, right, where we sort of turn into parents for our own parents. Mm -hmm. And it just changes that dynamic and that relationship. And so... Yeah, it can be hard. Mm-hmm. So you moved to California in 2006. That was tough on your mom because, well, she supported you, but I, I read that, you know, she cried. And you, you hired um, an in-home aide, and you were just taking red eyes back and forth between California and, what, D.C.? Or where where was she yeah, at that point? Yeah, D.C., exactly. Yeah. yeah, but your sister moved in, so that helped, right? Um, my sister moved in a little bit later, yeah. Oh, and. Okay. You know, it helped for sure. But yeah, my mom was so sweet when I said I was going to move and I had this job opportunity and she was excited for me. But she said, but now you won't come visit me. You know, in other words, she, Hmm. it was interesting to me because she saw me helping her in the home as us spending time together and us having kind of bonding quality time. And my perception was different. For me, it was draining and challenging and emotionally exhausting. And and so I actually said to her, no, mom, you know, you'll get some additional in-home support and I'll be able to visit and we can go back to being mother-daughter. And, you know, I don't, I don't think my mom, my mom's still very much with us and I love her so much, but I, you know, she's never been in that caregiver role herself. And so I don't think she... Hmm you know, fully appreciates kind of what it's like um, hmm. and what my sisters and I sort of have experienced. She didn't care for an, a parent or anything? Her father is still alive and okay. her mother um, had breast cancer and passed away pretty quickly, but she was mm. a little involved in her care, but really not not nearly to the extent as, you know, some mm-hmm. of us are, right? Mm-hmm. That's a really interesting point, yeah. Yeah. And and then in California, you, you said that you had met other women who walked in your shoes. What sort of conversations did you have? That must have been somewhat of a relief for you to have those conversations. Yeah, I mean, it's always, you know, it still happens to me all the time. I mean, every every time I meet someone and I talk about our business, I share what I've been through with my mom. And it's such a point of human connection because people will share back with me and say, you know, my mom's sick too. And here's what I'm going through. And gosh, I just flew home and oh, she was so frustrating and it's so hard and here's what's going on but yeah I think I just started to realize you know my eyes were opened and I started to you know just in saying oh my mom's sick so I have to fly back to the east coast you know she's in the hospital and people would say back to me you know their story and it was eye-opening to realize that there's so many of us out Mm -hmm. there who are similarly struggling and stressed and trying to do what's best for their family but it's hard Right. So you had the idea for Wealthy. It had been stirring around in your mind for a while. Tell us about the early days of the company and what you learned from those early users of the service. Yeah, I mean, our early hypothesis was 
we had this notion from business that we got obsessed with. My co-founder, Kevin Roach, and I got obsessed with this concept of project management because we kind of thought, gosh, if families could just have a project manager, right? Because it's not a planner and it's not um, an advocate. And, you know, it's somebody who is all of those things. So somebody who not only can provide the plan and some expertise, but can also get shit done, make the phone calls, do the research, and just handle things, sort of take things off my plate. And so the early hypothesis was if we could find these really exceptional people to be these kind of healthcare project managers and match them up with a family who has a complex healthcare project, as we call them, um, complex care, you know, maybe we can create a better experience for the family. And so we learned a ton in those early days. We didn't have any technology, nothing fancy. We just were matching families up with these incredible all social workers mm-hmm. who we were finding to help us and kind of learning what type of experience and what it should feel like for the family. And we learned a lot and we learned by messing up. I mean, we had some families who were like, yeah, I don't, I don't think this is that helpful. <laughs> right? uh-huh. So, mm-hmm. so we, we had to, we had to kind of screw up a lot of times and learn as we go. And, you know, it's always been based on what we wanted for our own families. And the observations and learnings we've had, they're small but profound and really have shaped the way we deliver our service today, which is a couple things. The first and most important thing is communication is so key. And one of the reasons why healthcare and caregiving is so hard on families is because you're dealing with really frustrating people within a frustrating system. And so one of the things we realized was very rewarding for families was for us just to communicate really proactively, frequently, and empathetically. And if we did just those things, families actually got a lot of relief. Just having somebody who cares is really hugely powerful, Mm -hmm. who listens and follows up and cares. And so that was kind of the first big learning. Um, The second big learning was that we realized that we could kind of get these small wins for families, which were also really powerful. They brought a lot of relief. So there's this notion that for a family with a complex care situation, you have to sort of solve the whole thing and figure it all out. And the truth is that some of these families who we support, you know, the situations are going to be ongoing forever and ever or take months to kind of figure out. And so if we could deliver a very small win kind of early in our relationship, it starts to build trust and builds confidence and builds peace of mind for a caregiver to feel like they have somebody who's there for them and listens and also has done something. That's really, really a great experience for people. So those are some of the things we've kind of just learned along the way and now have really very much integrated into the experience. Mm-hmm. Can, can you give us an example of a, a client that, you know, worked with one of your care coordinators without naming names, obviously, to sort of take us through the process? Yeah, I'll share with you kind of two different situations. Okay. The first is a woman who lives in Texas, and she came to us years ago. She was one of our very earliest customers. She came to us because she has a daughter who has a whole host of conditions. And this woman says, listen, I work full-time. My husband works full-time. 
Um, my daughter needs a whole lot of care. And we have another daughter who barely sort of gets any of our time and attention. And just the sheer kind of logistical nightmare of getting my daughter to her countless appointments and getting records in between the different specialists. Plus, we want her to go to a center of excellence where we have to gather all of her records. And she has countless therapists and she has multiple aides. And then, you know, there are always kind of questions around her schooling and how to accommodate her needs. And it just is a constant, constant maze. And so she came to us and said, when she first learned about what we do and how we work, she said, I could cry tears of relief that you exist. Hmm. And so we started working with her early on. And she just uses us as almost kind of her personal healthcare assistant. You know, can you handle setting up this appointment? We just realized we need to do this or where does this stand? What about this? Can we can we try to figure out an answer to this? Can you help me, you know, manage the aids? And so, you know, for her, we've really become her partner in helping to manage her daughter's care. The really interesting that that happened then about a year later was she came back to us and said, you know, I'm wondering if you have a family care option because in addition to my daughter, my siblings and I are trying to navigate care for my father. And I'd love to work with you on that. Hmm. And so now we help her siblings in navigating care for her father. But she's one of those customers of ours who pays out of pocket and is an ongoing customer. She's been with us for years. And even though she privately pays for us, we've saved her thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars, I'm sure. And not to mention, we've improved her daughter's health, you know, after gathering a ton of records from a lot of different specialists, we got her into a center of excellence. She had this special surgery and is doing so much better. And all of that happened because we got involved and were able to help. And she wouldn't, she just physically didn't have the time in her day working and taking care of her family to also try to do all this stuff to get her into the center. Um, so that's one example. I'll give you a really other different example, which is kind of another way that we help families. So uh, a guy came to us. I'll share his name, Steve, because he will very proudly talk about his involvement with us. So Steve came to us after his wife passed away, actually. His wife had multiple sclerosis. And during her final years of life, she was in and out of multiple hospitals and rehab facilities, and her insurance changed over in the middle. And so when she passed away, he started getting bills in the mail, and some were for a couple thousand, some were for tens of thousands of dollars. And he came to us and said, I don't know if there's something you can do here, but my other option is to declare bankruptcy because I can't afford what had amounted to hundreds of thousands of dollars. And that was after insurance covered their portion. Um, And so we were able to, over the course of six, first of all, we matched him with a dedicated care coordinator who had experience working in claims departments, Mm -hmm. insurance companies, and knew exactly how to go about contesting and negotiating the bills. And over the course of six months, we were able to go, we went department by department within hospitals and called the rehab facilities and various departments within the insurance companies. And we were able to report back six months later that of the $650,000 he owed in bills, he had to pay $239. Wow. That's a success (laughs) story. (laughs) I know. know. Um, So we have a lot of, you know, wonderful stories like that. Um, And I mentioned to you, you know, we launched working directly with families and we still have a, a private pay business working directly with families. But we're really excited because we've started working with companies. So companies now cover the cost of our service as an employee benefit, which is very powerful because for working caregivers, 
you know, caregiving is enormously distracting and can impact productivity and, and retention and all the things right. that employers right. care hmm. about. And hmm. so the employer gets to win by really helping their employees in this very meaningful way, but it does make employees more loyal and engaged and productive and um, and that sort of thing in, the, in, in their job. Is it a tough sell for employers to cover this benefit? How do you approach it? Depen- it? It depends. Um, you know, there are certain companies that are just pride themselves on taking really exceptional care of their people and they're yeah. a really good fit for us. There are other companies that are struggling, you know, the businesses are struggling and they're cutting costs. Those are obviously tougher sales. Yeah. Um, So it really just depends on the company and the culture, but also the benefits leader. We've been able to find some benefits leaders who are incredibly progressive. Yeah. But we also think, I mean, this this is a much larger topic that will start to really become a much bigger, hopefully more more well discussed topic in the in the coming years because we have this massive aging population coming mm-hmm. up, and so companies are going to have to figure out a way to support their employees who have aging parents and for whom those aging parents are distracting and taking them away from work. Mm-hmm. So this is a this is a large problem today and only growing in the future. Mm-hmm. Do you hand off? the project to a care coordinator who then is off and running with the project? Or do you work with the care coordinator really closely? And are they local? Uh, It sounds like you're doing this nationwide. So where does the care coordinator work out of? Yeah, so this is something that might be interesting to some of your listeners. So our care coordinators, we have care coordinators across the country in every state. They work with families virtually, and so they don't have to be geographically close to the family. We like to match families actually usually based on other criteria. So we have care coordinators who have extensive experience with, say, dementia and Alzheimer's or care coordinators who really understand, like I mentioned, you know, health insurance bills. And so care coordinators work for us in a really flexible way. They can take on as many clients as they want, um, scale up kind of their client load as they wish. Um, Our care coordinators work from home, set their own hours. We give them this really modern dashboard where they log in and can see all of their care projects that they're working with and correspond with their families through our platform. And that allows us to maintain quality and oversight and consistency. So we have care managers that oversee our care coordinators and will step in. So if a care coordinator's busy or unable or on vacation unable to respond, the care manager can fill in, also provide some guidance and best practices and tips. So the care coordinator really has a partner in the care manager. And then we've created a really nice community for our care coordinators. So care coordinators connect among themselves and share never, you know, any personal information. We're very careful about that. But we'll share best practices or tips or ask each other for questions or advice. And so for any of your listeners, you know, we started with our care coordinators all having social work degrees. But what we've started to do is actually bring on caregivers as care coordinators. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have these incredible caregivers who have, you know, 10 years of experience taking care of their mother with dementia and know very personally how to handle someone with dementia and navigate care options for them. And so it's very powerful for those individuals to pass forward their personal experience to help other families. So we love that. Um, But the work is very rewarding for for these folks. And they're really um, a major part of us 
building our business and we look to them for feedback and support and they really have become kind of champions and advocates for us. Mm-hmm. And I, I assume that you screen all your people and how do you find these people? Just Yeah, so we have a really structure. So for any of your listeners who do actually <laughs> want to become a care coordinator, they should be forewarned that it is a pretty rigorous process. So it's yeah. a multi-step structure process. M- well, much it has of it's- to be, yeah through our site. Yep. And so we ask for an application and two references and we do a background check and we have a written exam actually since so much of our communication is through our platform. What a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. And then we do a phone screen and then um, we'll do kind of a trial. So allowing care coordinators to work with families on a trial basis with our very close oversight. But what we found is, you know, through that kind of multi-step vetting process, we can really kind of screen out the people who aren't the right fit. And mm-hmm. we see pretty significant drop-off at each step of our vetting process. Um, wow. And so the people we're, we're left with are really the right fit, the right personality, and, and have the right cultural alignment. Mm-hmm. Um, but we source most of our folks through various, schools of social work and then job boards. There are a couple of women-focused job boards that we like a lot. One is called A Prey. A Prey focuses on women returning to the workforce who have stepped out to be caregivers. A Prey as an A-P-R-E-S? Yes. After, okay. Yeah, Mm -hmm. we love that site. And Mm -hmm. so we've gotten a lot of our care coordinators who are non-social workers through a prey. Mm-hmm. Um, and how, how affordable is this for the average caregiver? Let's get down to brass tacks here. So for families, <laughs> we charge, yeah, it's uh, we're very transparent. The pricing's up on our site. We charge $300 a month or $200 per month if you commit to six months in advance. It's $1,200 up front. And, um, and we, you know, that that is still, I understand, prohibitively expensive for many American families, um, especially given how much we're spending on health care. But I will say, you know, we see that our service pays for itself. We can oftentimes find options that are lower priced and even higher quality, um, contest and negotiate various services on behalf of our families, and really kind of do the legwork and research to present families with the best and most cost-effective solutions. It's so, not a lot it, of money if you're spending a lot of time doing this. Exactly. I, I, exactly. I, that's my view. Not necessarily maybe shared by others, but I, I do think that's a worthwhile investment. <laughs> I agree. I agree. And many of our families feel the same way, for sure. So are you, you're using Wealthy with your mom now. Yeah. And yeah. how hard has it been for you to let go, <laughs> if you have? <laughs> Um, you know, it's it's not hard for me at all because um, <laughs> be I'm so desperate for the help. I mean, I let go of certain things. So we see two types of families who approach us. Uh-huh. One type of family is the caregiver who's the type A woman who's used to being in control and knows what she wants. And that's more of me, my style. Mm-hmm. And for me, I use my care coordinator as sort of a kind of an extra pair of arms and legs, you know, saying, can you research this or follow up on this or handle this? So sort of using them as kind of my project manager or personal health care assistant. Other families really come to us and say, we don't know what we don't know. Mom's getting older. We don't have time to figure this out. Tell us what we need to do, mm-hmm. right? And so those are really the two different use cases. Interesting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I always feel bad for my family's care coordinator because I'm sure they feel a lot of pressure <laughs> to to deliver a great experience for the CEO. Then so. again, you're able to choose the best, right? Yes, well, that too, right, exactly. Um, but yeah, we, we have a care coordinator who's been enormously helpful for my mom. Our How care is she coordinator doing? Helped. Yeah, she's cool. quite 
quite advanced, and she's had a tough time with a sacral wound over the last year, and so mm-hmm. she's been in bed for a year. But her spirits are amazing. Her mind is sharp as a tack, and so we're hoping that the wound heals up and we can get her back in her wheelchair. And my mom has this incredible in-home aid that my wealthy care coordinator was able to find for us that I'm convinced has kept my mom alive and our care coordinators have helped us with negotiate and deal with bills and questions around treatment options and then our care coordinator also handled a move into a long-term care facility for my grandfather so we are big users of our <laughs> users of your own service, service. Yes, exactly. <laughs> how do you, Lindsay how do you think you've changed over the years and in particular since you started wealthy um Well, I think that just being a caregiver, and I'm sure you can relate to this, um, I think I feel so grateful for the little things in life. I mean, I see how how much my mom struggles to do just basic daily activities. And so that's very humbling. So that's kind of my personal thing. Uh, But and then my other observation, we all think our family is so extreme and so crazy. (laughs) And in starting wealthy, I realized that (laughs) Every family is actually (laughs) quite crazy and extreme and has their own set of issues. And so, you know, we're all dealing with our own stuff and we're all, we're all quite similar in the sense that none of this is easy. And, and we see, you know, every family has its own kind of family dynamics and there are really tough questions around finances and Mm -hmm. um, really tough questions around who's doing what and, you know, which adult child sibling is doing more and, and then tough issues around taking care of mom and dad and having mom and dad feel okay asking for help and getting their kids involved. And, you know, we see a whole lot of these same general trends and dynamics, but of course they take on their own life and family. Yeah. One of the things that I thought about in discovering your company, I was reminded of how your generation and younger aren't necessarily looking to government for these solutions. You're very cause-oriented, and you're sort of creating startups as a way of addressing social problems uh, and maybe making some money at the same time. I wondered if you ever considered going the policy route to solve any of these problems and um, what your take is on that. What is the role of government in your mind? Yeah, I mean, you know, in some ways, I think that our business is doing what potentially departments of aging should be doing. So Mm -hmm. every state has its state-based department of aging, and some are better than others. But they're understaffed and under-resourced, and frankly, just not modern or tech-driven and customer experience-driven at all, right? Mm -hmm, right. Um, So I agree with you completely. I mean, in some ways, I feel like, you know, in the startup world, investors like to ask, you know, what company or what are you displacing or what are you trying to disrupt? And for us, we're not disrupting other companies, it's not like we're trying to disrupt health insurance or hospitals or anything like that. For us, it's more these, you know, somewhat crappy, depending on which state, departments of aging. And so, you know, one of the things I am passionate about is figuring out ways that the next phase of our business is expanding beyond employers and starting to work with Medicare Advantage and Medicaid and the VA. And even, you know, I'd love to find a really progressive governor or two and help at a state level because I do think that a solution like Wealthy could provide almost, you know, a privatized or or substitute to the current Department of Aging model, which I think needs a lot of work and especially given how much volume and need we're going to see and increasingly so for the coming years. Oh, yeah, that's for sure. So your mom, how often do you see her now? I'm down there a lot. And Um, where does she live now? She's in Chattanooga. 
Chattanooga, Tennessee. And how did she end up down there? She ended up down there because my stepdad and she decided to move to be close to the grandkids. And so um, they have some grandkids in Chattanooga. Um, My stepsister has three boys. And so they're very happily close to the grandkids. But um, it's a good quality of life in Tennessee, you know, a good place to retire, just given the cost of things. And um, so they're down there. I get down there every couple of weeks. It's frankly a little bit of a challenging flight and yeah, trip right. from New York City to, well, frankly, from anywhere to Chattanooga, Tennessee. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but but I try to get down there as often as I can. Not as often as my mom would like. Yeah. But um, Where but are you in the birth order? I'm the youngest. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, listen, I want to give you an opportunity to offer any last thoughts before we go. Do you have any last thoughts? No last thoughts. No. I mean, we're, we like to say we're building the business wealthy for families like ours. And so we really think of what we're doing as almost, to your point, going beyond just building a business, but a movement, really a mission-driven movement. And so, you know, for any of your listeners or, or for you, you know, if there if there's a way that we could get you involved as a customer or as a care coordinator, if you have feedback or ideas, we would love that. So we're at wealthy.com, W-E-L-L-T-H-Y, and um, look forward to staying in touch with you, Jana, and then connecting with your listeners. Lindsay Juris Rosner, she's the co-founder with Kevin Roach, and she is the CEO of Wealthy. That, again, is W-E-L-L-T-H-Y. We'll have a link on the AgeWise website to Wealthy where you can get started on finding relief. Lindsay, thank you so much for being on the show and for this wonderfully innovative company. I think it sounds great, and um, best of luck with it going forward. Thanks, Jenna. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. If you like this show, please tell your friends. And if you're so inclined, go to agewise.com and subscribe to the show there or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review. Rate us. The Agewise podcast is produced and mixed by me, and it's distributed on the nationally syndicated Speak Up Talk radio network. I'm Jana Panaritis. See you next time. And remember, every caregiver has a story. I want to hear yours. Yours.